0: Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. But Welcome Welcome
1: now in, so in a lot of episodes you talk about mental health, and you know, a lot of the things that come up you hear it's like you know, meditation, exercise, and the term mindfulness. And it's funny, when I was reaching out to, to get to, you know, a little bit more of an answer on what mindfulness is, I kind of realized, I don't even know what mindfulness truly means. So I'm really pleased to be joined here by the co-founders of The Mindful Project, Dr. Rachel Linval and Erin uh, McLeod. How are you two? Thank you for joining me.
0: Good. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us on.
1: So um, you might know Erin McLeod's name. She is probably one of the best soccer players uh, our country has ever produced in Canada, uh, and Dr. Rachel Lindval has her PhD in mindfulness. So before we kind of get into this conversation, uh, doctor, if if you don't mind, can you just line, like give a little bit of a kind of basic baseline of what mindfulness actually is?
2: Yeah, I think that you're not alone in wondering what mindfulness is because a lot of times I think it's it's a word that's really thrown around quite a bit recently and the most basic definition is just paying attention on purpose in the present moment in a non-judgmental way.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of those terms, like I said, you hear it in mental health conversation, you hear it in business lingo a lot now, and it's kind of like, yeah, just practice mindfulness. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay. And then it, that's kind of where it stops. So I'm um, glad we cleared that out. Now, the mindful project. What is it? and how did you come to kind of i know it's a big question and probably a a lot of journey along the way but how did you you guys come to find it
0: um okay i'll try to give you the cole's notes version (laughs) um yeah, so um, I've used mindfulness. I kind of almost by coincidence, I learned to use mindfulness a lot um, just in my training practice. Um, a lot of breathing techniques, um, even like um, self awareness practice, which is a really big part of mindfulness, and realizing what my strengths and weaknesses are as a human being, not just as a soccer player. And um, the more I kind of looked into those things, um, I realized a lot of My happiness and enjoyment of the game um, was kind of being, um, I would say, (laughs) take it out because of my own mind and my own, you know, I was consistently getting in my own way and I'm not dealing with the pressure of performing and my, you know, the anxiety I was feeling before games. And so I kind of started on this like self-improvement path where um, I was trying to, uh, you know, be the best that I could be and be in the present moment more often and in sports you often hear that as the zone which is also coincidentally like if you're practicing mindfulness and like Rachel talked about just being in that moment where there's no thought and you're just like totally you know whether you're focusing on your breath or whatever it is um, you know the running monologue isn't constantly going and um, so it, it had a really big impact on my soccer but also just in the quality of my life and um, Rachel and I met, um, you know, her and her husband are university um, soccer coaches. So they kind of were touring Europe this one year um, looking at looking for inspiration for uh, soccer training in, in different leagues around the world for women. And they ended up taking me out to dinner one night because I was like a broke athlete living in Europe. And uh, I said, free meal, let's do this. And we kind of sat down and, uh, you know, Rachel was already doing a lot of research and, um, you know, getting educated uh, on mindfulness and the impact it was having on athletes. And we just kind of got to talking. And um, what we both realized is um a lot of the things i was having to unlearn a lot of the bad habits a lot of the self-talk and a lot of things i was putting myself through we start developing those patterns and behaviors as early as three and a half years old so we were like what if we didn't have to unlearn any of this stuff what if you just kind of went through life with like a growth mindset where you saw mistakes as like challenges and good things and anyway the conversation went back and forth and that was um a long-winded version of the answer, but uh, that was kind of like where the Mindful Project was born.
1: Right, so um, I found that interesting. When you think of professional athletes, um, a lot of the time, you know, I I come from a hockey background and funny enough, I I played goalie and, you know, you always were taught, you know, focus on the next shot. Uh, Don't worry about anything else. Just period by period, just focus on shot by shot by shot. You know, putting it in in that terms, I guess that is a practice of mindfulness. Am Am I wrong in thinking that?
2: Oh, Absolutely, yeah. That's it's basically training your brain to be in that moment. And I also am a goalkeeper, so we're you know got our own little uh, soccer and hockey union going on right here. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically it's it's training your brain to be in that moment. You're not worried about a um, scoreline you're not worried about you know what's happened before or what might happen next you're literally just putting yourself in that moment and doing everything you can do to you know control the game in that moment as that goalkeeper you know there's you're you're moving you're adjusting you're talking you know everything that you're needing to do in that moment versus again trying to predict the future or correct the past
1: right and I'm happy that you two both understand that talking to yourself is not weird as a goalie it's completely normal so um, I'm interested so I mean this has been part of I guess when you put it in those terms a part of our conversation especially when it comes to sport for you know generations at this point but when did it start to become a little bit more mainstream and you know a little bit delving deeper into the science behind it
2: well you know, in the if you remember in the '90s, if you were a Michael Jordan fan, or if anyone listening is a Michael Jordan fan, you you remember I was this huge Michael Jordan fan. I had like posters all over my walls, and and um, you remember if you followed him at all, then you heard uh, basically that Phil Jackson of Bulls were using mindfulness, and they actually they talked about using uh, meditation, and it was a. a a um, Dr. George Mumford that actually was working with them at the time, or excuse me, it might be George Mumford, I can't remember if he's a doctor or not, but he uh, wrote a book called The Mindful Athlete, and so he was involved uh, with them um, and working on mindfulness, and Michael Jordan and several other athletes attributed all of their success or a lot of their success uh, in the 90s to using mindfulness. Um, It actually popped up in the 80s with a rowing team that actually used mindfulness. So, and they attributed their success uh, at the Olympics to using mindfulness. But of course, in the 80s, it was no no athletes were really using it. Then in the 90s, you know, it was kind of unique that the Bulls were using it. And I think that research started happening more into the 2000s. So, Mm. as I in my research, I think the fact that you're actually getting some, you know, decades long research, Um, you're seeing the positive results that are coming from mindfulness. So I think it's one of those things just like with, with anything in the exercise science community or the sports psychology community or just athletics in general, you start getting enough evidence and enough people start talking about it and pro athletes like Aaron saying, hey, you know, this helped me. This I attribute my success to this, or it helped me overcome this injury. And I think you start hearing that enough that it starts to become more mainstream. People start accepting it, start using it, and seeing the great benefits that it can have.
1: Right, Aaron. Um, if you don't mind me asking, you know, uh, in in the prep for us chatting today, you know, just I remember some of your story from, um, you know, when I. I don't want to say when I was a kid, but, you know, back when... <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> but so, you know, I, I'd watch TSN and, you know, I'd follow along and kind of remember some of the pieces that were done. Um, you know, you went through some difficult points in between 2008 and, and the 2012 Olympics. What was it that, you know, brought mindfulness to your, uh, your attention and that you wanted to develop that practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, again, I'll try my best to do Cole's Notes, but there's no guarantee. Um, I went to the 2008 Olympics, and it was a dream since I was like five years old with a mullet. And I was like, this is all I want to do. It's all I cared about. And 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 I got there, and um, the year before that, I had a conversation with um, – my goalkeeper coach, who told me you know aaron you're one of the best goalkeepers in the world and and I was like irate. i rate like i don't want to be one of the best i want to be the best this is b s and um and so I just started to um you know focus on just being the best, and um I never actually took it." minute to like think about what that looks like and in my head I had kind of thought well you know and this is from when I was like five years old watching some of my heroes on tv and listening to the commentators saying that you know um, performances were flawless and there was no mistakes and they were they were perfect and so I had this idea in my head that being the best meant um, making no mistakes So you can probably guess how that went. It became kind of like this trap playing every game that I played. I was afraid I was going to make mistakes and, and Rachel often speaks to, and I think it's just genius. Just, um, You know, 30% of the time our thoughts generally are in the past. 60% of the time our thoughts are about the future, and only 10% live in that like present moment. And Mm. me having like a very fixed mindset and thinking that mistakes meant that I didn't have any self worth and I wasn't the best, and all these things like kept me very much out of the present moment. So I was consistently underperforming, and you know, I just remember the 2008 Olympics like everyone's like, Oh, it's the time of your life. And I was totally miserable. I was afraid to step on the field off the field. It was, you know, it was awesome. I'm getting selfies with Messi and Aguero. And I'm like, this is the dream. But like on the field, um, it was a mental trap. And I, um, I tore my ACL in that tournament and I remember feeling relieved just because I was like, thank God, like, um, you know, that's how bad it had become. Um, And so, you know, with injuries, you have a lot of time to yourself and a lot of time to reflect. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, I worked so hard and put my whole heart into this to like hate this sport. So I took a step back and and started reevaluating like how I learn my self awareness. I started like thinking, okay, you know, why are mistakes so bad? Why do I make them out to be so bad? So that was kind of identifying my mindset was the first step and, Then I had the um, absolute pleasure of working with this man named Dr. Kerry Evans, who is now working with the New Zealand All Blacks. Um, He's a genius, wonderful guy. And um, his like life motto is presence comes from being present in the moment. And I was like, this is my guy. Um, And um, you know, I asked him like, how do I stay in the present moment? Like I'm all over the place, worrying about this and that. And, and he was like, Breathe in for three seconds and exhale for four, and count while you do it. And that was it. And I was like, okay. And um, funny enough, there's science behind it. And I know Rachel's smiling and here, but um, you know, the longer out breath activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you make clearer decisions. You're more calm, um, and then the counting for me just like. When the running monologues, going and and then i just focused on counting then i was just focusing on the counting and my breath and it brought me right back to the moment and that is really mindfulness at its core right so i started doing that in training i started doing that like off the field in games um but even just like being more process oriented like he was wonderful. I remember one training session. I was like my voice, and as, as a goalkeeper, you know, you're supposed to give information, and I was like, "No na, no, na, no na, no no, no 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 that was my tone the whole time. <laughs> Anyone in their right mind would drown that out, right? So he, he you know I would start focusing on, you know even the tone of my voice, and the way I was speaking to people, mm-hmm. the way I was commanding, and just small things like that really just like took my game to another level. and um, the 2012 Olympics. I made a lot of mistakes in that tournament, but um, I didn't get held up by them. I was able to get right back into the present moment. Afterwards, I could like analyze video and like take learnings from it. But I kept coming back to the present moment. And, um, you know, we ended up winning a bronze and it was a wonderful tournament. But the coolest thing about it is I just really fell in love with the game again. And I Mm. think that was like the most rewarding part um, of my journey. Right. Long, long story there.
1: <laughs> I always say never apologize for long stories. Yeah. It's, uh, it's truly fascinating stuff. And, you know, when, when it comes to someone like myself and like I was saying off the top, when you're talking about mindfulness and, you know, you kind of hear it, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Breathing. But when you hear it come from a professional athlete and you, you know, that, that concrete kind of like, no, this helped me do this. It makes people listen. You know, it, it gives that validity to it that some people kind of, you know, crave when they, they want information, you know. Uh, not unfortunately, not everyone likes to sit in and a lecture and, and, and take everything in, you know, which is unfortunate, but kind of the reality of how people learn. Um, doctor, I, I'd like to kind of dive into just a little bit of this, this science behind it. So, you know, when we talk about things like meditation, about breathing, you know, Aaron touched on it just very briefly, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. What is it about breathing and being present in, in this moment? What are some of the things that it, like science tells us that it does and makes that difference?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking, so I can geek out a little bit because I absolutely <laughs> love this. Because just just a little backstory, I went into my doctoral research not planning on on researching mindfulness. Oh. I, act, I actually started um, researching because I was I, I've coached uh, college women for uh, twenty years. And I always felt like I connected well with them. And I already had a master's in uh, exercise science and sports psychology and had done a lot of, you know, I have a certified mental coach. I had things that I was already using to help them mentally, but I just, this next generation of athletes I was, I was missing on. And I was like, what's different? and they were more anxious. They had more fear of failure. Uh, They're just more stressed out. I'm also a college professor, so I was seeing it in the classroom, too, not just with my athletes, and so I started wondering, like, is it just me, or is this a thing? So I actually started researching stress and anxiety in what we call the emerging adult population, so that's basically, like, late high school up all the way through, like, graduate school students, and um, the research showed that stress, anxiety, fear of failure, depression, like pretty much all of the horrible mental health things, right, are like through the roof with this population. And then even down all the way into that elementary school population, which is really disconcerting. And so as I was researching this, mindfulness kept coming up as a mitigator or something that actually would reduce a lot of these symptoms. And so You obviously have people that say it's helping. You're like, okay, but what is the actual physiological side of things, right? So that's what I think is so cool is that breathing, like uh, Eric was saying, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms the body down. So think about you're getting ready for a big event or something that you're nervous for. That heart rate automatically goes up, which is good to an extent because it's getting more blood and oxygen where it needs to go. But when our heart rate is over 120, we actually can't think as clearly. And then over 150, you really can't think as clearly. So when I'm talking, telling my goalkeepers like, hey, I know that your defender should know to do that but they're sprinting their butt back on defense right now. And they are not going to remember that that's what they should do because that heart rate is elevated. So in that same sense, we don't think as clearly when our heart rate is up. And also another thing is that stress hormone cortisol, right? So um, doing, using breathing, using uh, meditation or mindfulness practice um, is shown to bring stress hormone cortisol down. Like it actually reduces the production of it in our body. Um, It also reduces blood pressure. And uh, also, um, um, I just blanked on the other one. We're talking (laughs) about heart rate, we're talking about blood pressure, we're talking about cortisol. But basically, there's another uh, stress hormone that our body produces that it also lowers. And I just geek out because you can't argue with the physiology. Like, you can't argue with actually taking these tests. Another thing it does is it actually uh, regulates uh, heart rate variability. Now, heart rate variability is when something surprises you or something comes at you that you weren't anticipating. Even for academics, it could be a pop quiz. You know, for something on the field, it could just be something that you didn't expect. And so uh, that heart rate can jump, right? Which essentially, that heart rate jumping, it's kind of that panic moment, and uh people who participated in six weeks of mindfulness, their heart rate variability when kind of like scared for a second, it actually came back to normal significantly mm-hmm. more quickly. Like they had more control of their own heart rate. Which I think is nerdy cool. Yeah. I oh, that's not, so how
1: excited you get about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. Uh, that's what Erin knows I love to geek out on this yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I it was again mindfulness wasn't it wasn't something that I was even on my radar as far as something to um research. I, I was aware of it, you know, I was aware of it, you know, through um pro athletes and other things, but I hadn't really I, I was kind of like, well, everyone kind of uses their own thing. But then when the science is irrefutable science, um, which I think is just outstanding. So and then using it with my own athletes, just seeing um great results with them. It's just, it's just been exciting Uh, in my classroom using it with my students seeing their stress levels coming down, their anxiety coming down. It's just really exciting to actually see it in with our own product and in our own lives as well as,
1: you know, in the research. Yeah, and it must kind of be nice that you can kind of like safely experiment with different things without, you know, causing harm to anybody. uh, When you think, it's funny that you bring up, you know, the, the young, uh, I always call them millennials because that's what everyone does, but it's, you know, generation Z and everything like that. But, you know, my peers and, and even me now becoming a manager and having people under me, those are, those are things that you really have to be conscious of. It's a, it's a very new mentality of, of how to run a workplace, how to run a sports team, um, everything about that. So, you know, it doesn't have to just apply to sport, which is what I find so interesting. It, it applies to business, um, to, to your workplace. What I'm curious to ask about you, you mentioned how you're using it with your students. What are some things, cause I know you, um, here in Ottawa uh, where I'm from, um, Ottawa U before the pandemic um, was having a crisis with you know, students and, and suicide. Um, You know, it's a, it's a very anxious time. What are some of the things that you're doing with your students in the classroom, if you don't mind sharing, um, that seem to be working and helping them out?
2: Yeah, so this semester, one of my classes, um, it's psychosocial dimensions of kinesiology, basically. It's the sports psychology and the sociology of sport kind of mixed together. And so in that class, we um, actually are doing our adult program. So the Mindful Project Build program, our class meets three days a week. And so we're doing the program three days a week. And and, uh, so we uh, um, essentially, it's uh, giving them the foundations, uh, foundational elements of mindfulness. Um, Also, Aaron mentioned earlier the growth mindset. And essentially, it's giving them kind of a curriculum to learn how to think differently. Because essentially, what study shows with mindfulness is that you know, the, the concept of non-judgment um, and even being in the present moment, it helps bring our stress down because we view things differently. And so it's essentially helping them look at their own world differently. Uh, one of my students, she was taking a class that she says, I'm horrible at this subject. And she was really, you know, not looking forward to it. And uh, when it came to the first test, uh, she said that before she sat down and she said, basically, just breathe in, breathe out, and said, just focusing on one question at a time, and she got a very high B, and she's struggled to get C's in this before, and right now she's, I just talked to her the other day, and she said, I am like at an A-minus right now. She was so excited, um, and she's in, in our class um, doing our program three days a week, and so essentially it's giving that each, the way the program works is we have a little cartoon, we have some cartoon characters that uh, share the information, And they kind of give the concept for the week. Each week we build on a curriculum as far as giving them the tools to be able to handle what's going on in their daily life and be able to better use mindfulness in their life. So we have a little cartoon that introduces the subject. um, And then we have a guided audio, which is Aaron's soothing voice (laughs) that uh, basically helps them with their breathing and then also uh, some imagery and applying the technique of that day. And then we have a journal that they reflect in. Mm. Um, And so that's, twice a week and then on the third day is like a review and then we also do mindful coloring and uh it may sound kind of silly to say mindful coloring but uh erin's uh, sister actually made these awesome designs and we have you know so we play music that uh, uh another uh friend of ours created for us and actually no erin made the music i take that back erin did the piano and uh so essentially my students you know when the music changes we have you know you Color with a different color when you hear it go faster, color different color when it goes slower, and just being able to focus on the changes in the music takes your brain from anywhere else and it just basically relaxes it and gives it just that that mental break that we have such a hard time doing so yeah. that 's kind of in the nutshell what our program is and what i 've been doing with my class uh, this semester
1: that 's super interesting, uh, and I love the incorporation of arts uh, music of you know, coloring cartoons that, you know, it, it takes me to a, bu- a bunch of conversations I've had with previous guests about um, the connection with arts, the arts and, and mental health and, and all these things and how you use them all together. It's super, super interesting. Um, you go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. And uh, we actually did that intentionally. Like, that's something that as Aaron and I were sitting down and deciding, well, how we wanted to this this program to look, we looked at the research as far as the art-based side of it. Some people respond really, really well, especially kids from more troubled backgrounds. Um, The research has shown that they really connect with, with the art. And some of us connect with it regardless of our background. But it's another way of expressing ourselves and connecting with mindfulness. And just even having the cartoons, having the audio, having the reflection, all of it Um, is intentional, because part of my doctoral program was learning about learning, and so we basically, the more ways that you can put something together, so you can hear it, you can read it, you can see a cartoon of it, actual visual, uh, reflecting on it, imagining it, listening to it, um, and then writing, so basically all of the things that we're doing are intentional, so that we create what's called durable memories. Durable memories are those memories, like of that, that jingle, you know when you were a kid of that advertisement that you like hear something and all of a sudden you're singing this thing that's been in your head forever the durable memory is something that basically is there and it doesn't leave and so that's what we're trying to do with our program is to create something that is a durable memory so that people can use it whenever they need to use it and not be like oh that's great i'm learning this but then i forgot when it's time when the
1: time came that they needed to use it right it sounds like me in math for sure <laughs> <laughs> um Aaron, I'm curious, you know, when, when we were talking about professional athletes and, and training, you, you know, you, you think of people in the gym um, doing all sorts, you know, going for runs, all these different workouts, you know, uh, I'm interested once you learn mindfulness, what did you take from it? And did you incorporate anything into your training? So I guess the question I'm asking just to kind of condense it a little, what were some of the big differences of you're training before mindfulness and after mindfulness?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest difference is um, just was my focus. Um, and I mean, I think it was mindfulness, but also like uh, a part of mindfulness is self-awareness, but kind of addressing my mindset. Um, I was very like outcome focused with a lot of my goals uh, as far as like, I wanted to be the number one keeper for Canada. I wanted to win this. I wanted to do this and A lot of them were outcome-focused goals. Um, And the one thing about mindfulness, like really being in the moment, is most of my goals became more like process-oriented. So, for example, like, you know, I consider myself one of the best in the world at dealing with crosses. And, you know, I've been asked, well, what's your secret? And I literally just pay attention to the spin on the ball. Every time I set my feet and I'm looking for the ball to come, I'm just looking for the seams on the ball. And that's it. Um, you know, if I'm going to go kick a ball and I'm doing a side volley, for example, like I'm going to, um, you know, my sho- point, my shoulders to the direction I want the ball to go. So um, I just became much more in the moment. Like, even like when you go kick a ball, you know, like, um, you know, my dad has been my coach for a really long time. And he'd always be like, look at the ball because he's obsessed with golf. And he's like the best golfers in the world. Look at the ball. Like look down at the ground and the ball's already gone and they're still looking at the ground and then they look up and, but it's exactly the same. You know, you, you look at where you want to hit the ball and it just actually like focus directly on the one thing that I'm doing. And, um, just really being in that moment and noticing those small details, um, just kept me right there. Um, and having said that, I, I felt like more in control of my body. I didn't feel like things were, um, a fluke or coincidence, Um, I just felt uh, just more in tune, I guess, with what I was doing. And so that was the biggest, I would say the biggest difference that I felt, not immediately, but I just kind of started realizing, oh, when I focus on this, it works every time. So um, it was a shift. But um, yeah, it was pretty significant. And I I do feel like, um, you know, one thing I wanted to add uh, when Rachel was talking is just um, the thing I love about mindfulness is like, it, it's different for everybody. And sometimes like, I love art. And if I have like had a busy day and my brain is overloaded and I have a busy day every day. So <laughs> my brain is always overloaded. And I like sit down at a sketch pad and I draw for like 20 minutes and I don't think for a second and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was speaking with my aunt yesterday, who's a musician and, I, you know, she's like, when I'm playing the guitar, I don't think about anything else. And like the, the state of flow or the zone, it just shows up differently for a lot of different people. And, um, a part of the program, you know, like we just want people to feel empowered to try different types of mindfulness to see what works for them because we're all so different and um you know I'm now in the habit of listening to this loving kindness meditation before sleep and I'm uh, practicing like gratefulness and a lot of these states of mind that when I'm doing mental training with the national team that's what we're trying to replicate so um that's why I feel so lucky to be an athlete because I get to practice these different tools like in sport, uh, but they f- are for, like you said, in the business place, they apply everywhere.
1: Yeah. It's the the biggest thing. As I'm hearing you talk like about all these things, I'm like, Oh, I, I do that before a big presentation or, or a pitch, you know, like I'll, I'll put on some music and maybe like take some deep breaths before I go in. I'm feeling better even before, you know, this, this conversation and, and talking to you two like me just, having an anxiety disorder my heart's pumping I'm like okay no here we go it's gonna be good it's gonna be fun and and just kind of talking yourself through it that you know you guys coming from the uh the sports background but like it just it applies through a date going on a date uh you can apply it to all sorts of things that you might experience that that kind of bubbly feeling from
0: Absolutely. I had. I, and I was telling Rachel this too. Like, I had this awesome conversation with my dad the other day, um, and I just asked him, like, straight out. He's been my training partner <laughs> during the coronavirus. Uh, bless him. Uh, he's jammed like all of his fingers trying to catch the soccer balls I've hit at him. But uh, in any case, um, you know, I asked him, "I'm like, how do you deal with stress? Like, what do you do?" And he's like, "Well." If I'm really stressed or, you know, he's retired now, but he's like, but if I used to get ready for a big meeting, I would I would sit at my desk and I would think about, and he used to work in Egypt. He's like, I would think about my favorite golf course in Egypt. And I would think about the, f- like the first hole and what the par was and what club I would use. And and then I would think about the second hole. And, you know, like there was a curve on that, uh, you know, the straightaway. And anyway, he w- he went through like every hole. And I was like, that's like, guided relaxation or meditation and you know and it was just you know he hadn't coined a term for it but uh mm-hmm. we do have different coping mechanisms and uh yeah it's just i think it's really fascinating
1: yeah rich i'm i'm uh very uh curious to know what came first for you you know the research or the practice when like when you started reading into it were you like you know kind of like going through it yourself before as you were like you know doing it in part? Or did you practice a lot of it before? And then you're like, Oh, wait, mindfulness is this thing I've already been doing. Yeah, I think like
2: you, I realized I had been doing it without realizing it. um, But I wasn't doing it intentionally.
0: Mm. So
2: I think as far as doing it intentionally came after a lot of research, because I think I started researching and I was still like, really, can mindfulness do all this? And I kept researching and I was like, okay, maybe. And I kept researching and researching and researching. And I was like, okay, I got to start doing this myself regularly if I'm going to continue researching this. And and I, I mean, the, the evidence is undeniable when you really are, are researching it. And um, so then I started practicing it regularly myself. But I realized, just like you were saying, or like I was saying with a dad, that I had used it in the past. For various things, um, but I didn't know at the time that it was mindfulness. So I have used it a lot before, but now it's an intentional practice versus it being like a, you know, undefined, I guess you would say.
1: Right. Um, I'm curious for both of you, uh, is would journaling be considered part of the, the mindfulness uh, umbrella?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that it... Like for us with our journal, we have people use it as a reflection and gratefulness. Um, And I think that that's something that uh, is so important. Uh, We also have them do goal setting and kind of checking back in. So I think it's a part of the process as far as that that uh, self-compassion is a big part of it, right? Um, we have in our sports program, um, you can kind of gauge your effort and not your effort in terms of judgment, but effort as far as acknowledging like, this is how much of effort I've given to this. So if I'm not happy with the outcome, maybe the effort is what needs adjusting uh, or needs to be adjusted. But I think um, journaling and self-reflection and gratefulness is a huge part of the process of self-growth. Erin, uh, I don't know if you have more you want to add to that
0: yeah i just think for me like um you know some of the research that um rachel showed me was is pretty cool just about how like being negative towards yourself and if if you've made a mistake and you're harsh on yourself it actually doesn't help you to learn any faster which when i learned that i was like oh my god i was like miserable for i don't know how many years in sport thinking that being hard on myself was going to make me learn quicker and it's it's not true at all um so that was a big realization, but also like the self-compassion and, and how you talk to yourself. And uh, I've had the fortune of like working with the um, younger teams. And um, the cool thing about uh, just chatting with them is um, this whole self-compassion piece. And, and I learned this a long time ago with one of, one of my sports psychs, and, um, and he said to me, like, you know, after you've made a mistake, imagine the five-year-old se- your five-year-old self. So the five-year-old version of of Aaron McLeod. And I, like I said, I had my mullet, I had my like Adidas high tops and um, you know, I was like a little badass or I thought I was anyway. And, and I just, you know, like if I had just made a big mistake, what would I say to the five-year-old version of myself? Mm. And, um, and I, try to remember that now uh because i was i've been harsh to myself for so long that it's obviously going to take a while to totally unlearn it but um self-talk is such a huge huge piece i think um of mindfulness and and even like a meditation practice and <laughs> i uh, i told this to rachel too she's probably getting bored of all these stories but Um, meditation, there are, like, so many stigmas around, just, like, mindfulness. It's like, oh, just, you know, be mindful, and mindfulness, blah, 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 and you're like, what does that even mean? But, you know, meditation was the same for me. I had heard about it, and I was like, I don't really know what this is. I don't want to, like, sit and think about nothing, and and I went to this um, conference. It was the Dalai Lama was speaking, and I, like, was taking my spot before he started speaking on the stage, and to my left this guy had like a raw silk suit from head to toe on with like buddha beads from his wrists to his elbows and the guy beside me um and that guy was like oming the whole time i was there and the guy on my right had like he was a white guy with dreads and like a t-shirt that said eat kale on it and i was kind of like i don't know if i'm going to understand any of this <laughs> but what was so cool about it is to have so many different people from different different walks of life there to just find more peace and and i learned a lot about meditation and that it all it is is the same as that breathing thing it's just like bringing yourself to that moment and like every time your mind shifts like noticing that it shifts and then bringing it back to the breath and it's funny because non-judgment is such a big part of it. I remember when I first started meditating and my mind would drift and I'd be like, Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like stressing myself out and which a lot of people do when they try mm-hmm. to meditate. Cause they think, well, I'm just going to think about nothing. But I read a quote the other day uh, by one of the founders, John kavanzen of mindfulness. who was like trying to stop your thoughts is like trying to stop waves coming up on the sand. So it's not about, stopping the thoughts it's like noticing they're there and then coming back to the breath and that practice is in sport and business and everything Mm -hmm. um but the self-compassion piece shifted huge for me and now when my mind shifts and i come back to the moment you know i'm like nice work you know and it's a small difference but it makes a huge impact on Mm -hmm. self-worth and like day-to-day fulfillment um so I've really appreciated that part and, and also just appreciating emotions just because they're more mindful doesn't mean you're not going to feel hurt or pain or all these things. It's just, it's, you sit with them and you kind of go towards them um, and deal with the hard stuff. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really proud of the shifts in my life, but, um, and you know, the research from Rachel is like, when you, when you know, you're like, you know, you got a golden egg,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you want to share it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I'm I'm really curious. So here in Ottawa, um, you know, I'm a mental health speaker advocate. Two two of the things that I've been trying to incorporate the most, but have had trouble is is the journaling and and the meditation aspect. And similar to what you were saying, like you hear a lot about these two things, especially with me being involved in that that kind of that world. Um, I've always had trouble even coming to grips with just sitting down and doing it. What my question is, and I don't know if you have the research or the the data to support it, is there maybe a little bit more of a stigma with the mindfulness practice um, towards men? The reason I ask, and this is basically my own perception, is I'm from a small town. And when I think of talking to some of the people I went to high school with, and, and notably men, Country boys and stuff, talking about mindfulness, they would laugh at me. You know? I, I'm just curious, in that re- in, in in your in your world, is that maybe you know something that that's been acknowledged, or you know, am I just speaking on experience?
2: As far as my research is concerned, I didn't research anything specifically okay. relating to gender. However, I would say in my in the same sense, my, my observation, um, I, I could see where that would be more of a barrier for men than it is for women. And uh, I think it was interesting um, watching even my husband as I started researching this stuff and, and talking to him. And he's not really someone that worries about stigmas that much. But I think even for him, it's like, he's a very logical person. So for him, it was kind of like, hmm, you know, like, he it, it took him a while to embrace, kind of the research and embrace sitting and seemingly doing nothing. He's a very much like he's always doing stuff and, and he's highly intelligent and always kind of like working on things. And I think for him, it was more just like sitting and feeling like you're doing nothing, but he started practicing mindfulness well, probably about six months after I did. And he uh, saw a lot of great benefits from it. And I think uh, my college students in this class that I'm telling you, I have a lot of athletes and it's um, probably um, it's either half male, half female, or it might actually be more men, um, more men than uh, women in that class. But I was curious to see how they, if they would embrace it or not. And I spent about a week kind of uh, at first just talking about mindfulness and kind of really helping them try to understand it and try to get rid of some of the stigma as far as introducing some male athletes that, you know, are involved with it Um, and like LeBron James and like trying to help with that stigma. And they uh, embraced it. even the coloring days. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't know Mm -hmm. how some of these guys were going to do coloring days. And it was probably about two or three weeks in. So we had been, this is our third coloring session, maybe. Uh, we had a technical difficulty and the music cut off early and I thought that it was done and I went over and I realized, so I said, like, okay, you know, pick up your journals and I realized, oh, we had five minutes left and and uh, I, I said, well, oh, well, we're done and the whole class groaned. No, we want to keep doing it. My guys included. <laughs> so I think that there can be a stigma, but if people are willing to get over that initial hump, just like with anything, right, then they see the same kind of benefits that the
1: women are seeing right uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna start with you and then move over to aaron some of the tips for meditation so again going back to that conversation, is everyone hears about med- meditation and they hear benefits but i don't think a lot of people truly they think they think it's that you know sitting with your legs crossed and your your fingers together going um You know, like that, that's what everyone thinks meditation is. If you could, what are some like beginner tips to start the practice of at least meditation?
2: Honestly, in the research, um, there was even a suggestion by one of the researchers to start with as little as 10 seconds, Mm. because for some people, I think you're exactly right to actually sit down and feel like you have to take time to do this, or maybe you're embarrassed because of whatever stigma you feel, um, literally even just taking 10 seconds away from your desk or, you know, wherever breathing in for three seconds out for four seconds, you know, for just taking 10 seconds at a time and then increasing from there. I think a lot of times people feel like they have to somehow have it all figured out. It's okay to feel a little uncomfortable at first. It's okay to feel a little weird about it at first. You know, maybe even start with your eyes open. If you feel weird closing your eyes, you know, and I think, recognizing that it's it's a process and just like training your body training your brain takes time and so starting with just a short amount and and also not judging yourself if you don't feel like you're doing it quote unquote right who cares like it's really just about you're there and noticing if your brain wanders bringing it back to the present moment and cheering yourself on for that I mean that's a win Mm. so I think in everyday life too, for me, I've talked about this in another interview that we did, but um, it can be done even by just focusing on one thing. For instance, I was getting in the van with my team one time and something had really upset me right before I got in the van, not with my team, there's something extraneous. And I got in and I thought, man, this is not really good for me not to be in a good headspace and driving my team in a 15 passenger van. And so we were stopped at a stoplight. So I just literally focused on the taillight in front of me for, you know, 10 seconds and just said, it's red, it's rectangular, you know, there's four screws in it. I literally just made myself focus on that and it brought my brain back to the present moment and put me in a better place to be driving my team. So it can be as simple as just taking, you know, you're at your desk, it could be looking at your pen or pencil for 10 seconds and noticing the colors, noticing the shape. It doesn't even have to be eyes closed, legs crossed, like you're talking about.
1: Mm. Interesting. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you have anything to add on top of that and maybe some specifics that that maybe help you um, get through it and when you started especially.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I did start like leading up probably 2011, leading up to the Olympics. Um, but I've, for me personally, like, I'm still like um, trying to figure out what works best for me. I, I used to make fun of the yogis in my life and now mm-hmm. I like totally am into yoga. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's always trial and error, but like very simple things are, um, you know, like when I was um, living with my my roommates, my parents uh, for the last month, uh, uh, I was, uh, we would sit before dinner And we would do the breathe in for three and out for four. And we would do three rounds of that before starting the meal. And what we noticed is, And that was it. And we just felt more calm, more present and had really great conversations. We lit some candles. Like we just enjoyed being there in that moment. And, and along the lines of eating, you know, like mindful eating is another practice. You can literally focus on the flavors, the textures. When I was doing my like uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction course, that was probably my least favorite video. But when you watch uh, the instructor eat like two raisins and he eats it, it's like 30 minute video of eating (laughs) two raisins and i was like okay this is extreme so again you got to pick what works for you you know but like that's one way to do it like going for a walk and looking at the sky and the colors around you or the trees or the leaves like even if it's a split moment where you just take take it in that's mindfulness so it appears a lot of different ways um again like for me I started doing uh, body scans where you go from your toes all the way to your head and you have like guided instruction focusing on your toes and then your your ankles and just it helps with body awareness and just relaxing you from your toes to your head and if you're like me and your mind wanders, it's, it's nice because it gives you kind of consistent instruction so your mind can wander and then the voice kind of helps you bring you back to the moment and... I'm trying to graduate to more of uh, just meditation where there's less guidance um, and it's challenging. Um, when people say meditation is easy, they are, they're lying or they've been doing it for a really long time. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a focus practice. Really, at the end of the day, it's a focus practice. You notice your mind drifting, you come back to the moment, and you can do that anytime. And the nice thing about working on your focus is the better your focus is, the better you, you know, everything is. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's about kind of finding what works for you. Like I'm totally into yoga now, and um, I just love the mind-body connection, and um, yeah, just to like feel like I'm in my body and right here um, is something that I don't think I can say that I felt my whole life for sure.
1: Right. What I what I love about this conversation is, you know, going into it, you think of mindfulness as this big process, this this big kind of convoluted, complicated, okay, I gotta be mindful. So I gotta do this, this, and this. But when you break it down, the both of you, it's just like, I love that the, the split moment, that that moment just to focus on present is mindfulness. And it's like, oh, so it doesn't have to be so daunting. And you know, I don't know why I got myself so worked up about this, this, this concept of mindfulness, but it, it's nice to kind of have it put in those terms that it's just, it's just simple. It's noticing the breeze, the trees. One thing before, you know, we finish up and I definitely want to touch on some of the the projects you have going on at, at the mindful Pro- project. You mentioned off the top, and I did want to get to this, the, the no judgment. And I want to kind of touch on that and why that aspect is also really important when it comes to it. I, I spoke with, uh, Sarah Vizina, um, a couple episodes ago, but, you know, we, we were talking about breaking down the ego and, and you know, understanding yourself and uh, going through the things and the walls you built up. Why is this no judgment concept, you know, important to this whole mindfulness um, area of practice?
2: Well, I think that uh, one of the biggest things is that, like Aaron talked about earlier, being hard on ourselves, science shows doesn't actually make us better. And when we're judging ourselves for something, we're essentially our our brain is in the past, right? So when we essentially are saying like, oh, or we're predicting where we will or will not be in the future. And so our brain is not actually in the present moment. And so I think so often we think that we need to judge ourselves to somehow hold ourselves to a higher standard. But Reality is is that judging yourself and having goals or aspirations are very different because, uh, for instance, for me, I uh, was lucky enough to contract hepatitis A earlier this year, and so I uh, got my my fitness destroyed and I'm trying to get back into shape. And so every day that I am working on getting back into shape, I'm not where I want to be. And so I'm having to practice and say like, hey, but you actually got out there, you did this, this is more than you did, you know, a week ago, three weeks ago, you weren't able to do anything. So it's really saying this is, you know, maybe I want to be at a certain place, but if I'm not there yet, what did I do today? Because all we can control is our effort and we can praise ourselves and be proud of ourselves for this effort. I was telling Aaron this earlier today, I've been really working on self-compassion because yeah, with, I mean, with anything that we're working on in life, we're often not where we maybe want to be, but still recognizing that we showed up today, we gave effort today, or if we didn't give effort today, then we can, you don't need to judge ourselves for it, just note it and do better tomorrow, you know, Karen
0: I know you'll have something to add to this. <laughs> All, always, right? The long-winded one. Um, no, I, I mean, I totally agree. Non-judgment is, is massive and it's really, really hard, I think. But I also think which is cool and, um, you know, like our brains always want something to mean something. Like that's kind of, I feel like how we're hardwired, right? So the nice thing about a mindfulness practice is like the more you practice it, like when a, something, a new stimulus enters into your world, you react how you think it is going to affect you generally, but the more you practice mindfulness, a new stimulus comes into your world and you just see it for what it is. For example, has anyone ever been stuck in traffic? Yes, you're still, you're in traffic and you're like your meetings in 30 minutes and you're like, I'm gonna be late for my meeting. They're gonna think that I don't care because I'm showing up late and it's gonna reflect on me. They're gonna think I'm a bad leader. You know like we, we go through this whole thing your stress oh, no. your heart rate you're like oh my god you're
1: calling me out <laughs>
0: yeah right and literally like the more and more you practice mindfulness and this non-judgment piece you're like literally just sitting in a bunch of cars you know what i mean it is what it is and it's crazy like i at first when i was like getting into this i'm like this is bs i do not believe this but like the other day um i don't know if you know my dad has a soda stream when i was with my roommates and So I'm like trying this soda stream and I didn't know it was broken, Um, but anyway, totally busted. So I put the water uh, bottle underneath and literally it sprays all over my body. I'm drenched. And my reaction is, oh, I think this is broken. You know what I mean? Five years ago, I would have been, like, livid. I would have, like, chasing my dad down, like, what? What did you do? You know what I mean? Like, and it is what it is. And, um, and it's crazy. And why I think it's so relevant as well for athletes or for whatever you're doing is, um, you know, one of my favorite basketball uh, quotes by Michael Jordan is about, like, the 26, he's been 26 times was given like, the opportunity to win the game-winning shot. Um, and, he, and he failed. You know and if he would have reacted if he hadn't practiced his mindfulness he wouldn't have taken those other shot those game winning shots because he would have based it on what happened in the past so to like totally be in that moment it's such an important practice because you know you close so many doors but because you think this is how it's going to affect you so i think that's the biggest thing for me that i was like wow this is um the non-judgment piece is huge but also just seeing the world without like, you know, your tunnel scared uh, vision goggles. And it's more just like seeing things the way that they are. And sometimes that's hard to see, but um, at least it's, it's more honest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, and especially in a time like, you know, the pandemic where we're at right now. And, and, you know, I, I look at myself working from home and I find that such a struggle to be as productive as I might've been in the office. And that's definitely a thought I've had. It's like, uh, you know, beat yourself up about it uh, and uh, ugh, I'm not doing a good job. Am I going to get fired? Go and you go down that line. But when you know, you put it to I think a lot of people are going through that part and it's important. So here's a, a great example of where mindfulness can really come in handy for everybody. Uh, this pandemic, I think, is a perfect example of of using these practices to self, you know, compassion. It, it's it's huge. An interesting
2: thing on that, too, is the fact that if we show more self-compassion to ourselves, then we're more likely to show it to others because, you know, if we're sitting in traffic and we are recognizing, like, look, I can't do anything about it, then how much kinder are we going to be to someone else that gets stuck in traffic, which is then going to create this environment where we're not judging each other that's something that I've worked on a lot with my team is it's like, if we're not judging ourselves so much, then we're kinder to each other. And it creates this environment to where we're not afraid to fail because we're not afraid to get called out or made fun of for something. And then it thrives as a result of it. So it has that effect. Not only are we kinder to ourselves, but to others as well.
1: I want to go through everybody on Twitter and just every time I see a comment, just post a clip of this This conversation just under them when they're going off about things, just yeah you know here, here you go, you know, <laughs> so um before we wrap up i I do want to touch on you know the mindful project, um what you two founded. you talked a little bit and you referenced some programs that you you have available and that you've implemented with things you know what what are you are you aiming to get you know everybody children, is it sport focused like what's kind of like that? that um, target that you're trying to go after with with the project
2: we initially created the program for kind of the elementary school age six to twelve year olds because that's the age that they're really um, able to you know digest the material and be able to they, their brains are very moldable at that at that uh, time of life we've had um, groups as young as four to six Use it as well and really uh, got a lot out of it. But then we had just our lives, you know, I'm involved in the college world, and then also we just have a, a lot of people wanting this type of program for obvious reasons as far as anxiety, stress, whatever. So we also have an adult program, and then also basically like a, a teen program as well. And then we have a sports specific program, and then we have a non sports specific uh, program. So you know, kind of trying to meet the needs that are out there as best we can. Clearly, us being so embedded in the sports world, uh, sports is a huge thing. But as you know, this is not only vital for sports, but just for life. So we are kind of looking at both.
1: Yeah, no, I know sports is the ones that really embraced it. Um, I work for uh, a media company here in Canada, um, and I work in radio, and I know the, their practice, you know, from our CEO down, the, that they really preach that, that mindfulness practice and they have a, a whole bunch of programs around it and they're, and they're trying to implement it. But, you know, even with myself, um, I'm a speaker would do it for Darren, um, which is the, the hockey youth mental health. Pro- and I kind of agree with what, you know, you, you were saying about the youth. And it's like, my belief too is tackling the like not the issues, but giving them that foundation when they're young. Um, So they have those tools that as they progress more in life and through, you know, the dramatic years of our our teens and college and then into our professional lives that they've already learned all this stuff and they're not trying to learn it once, you know, they've been in their career for 30, 40 years and, and entrenched in their ways. So I think it's huge that, you know, it's a great thing to reach the kids.
2: Well, when Erin came to me with this uh, idea originally, we were talking back and forth, but then she's like, hey, what if we actually like create a program like that? She really was saying, I want to give back and I really want to reach these kids because if I only could have known what I know, you know, now, um, how much better could I have been? And then plus when you just see the stats of the anxiety and the stress and, and the depression and the suicides and suicidal thoughts and all of this stuff that kids are experiencing at such a young age, it just feels like how can you not you know, try to reach out and and help them while they're young. An an interesting note in my research, uh, this is, you know, again, a little like nerdy side here, but uh, by age 12 or 13, kids actually have the majority of their emotional vocabulary. And so this actually allows them to digest and talk about their feelings because a lot of times I feel like especially middle-aged men are told, you know, you don't talk about your emotions enough. Well, a lot of times they actually don't have the words to say because Kid, boys, especially, weren't asked to talk about it when they were young, where girls probably were. And so that's an interesting thing, too, is by you know hitting these classes or these sports teams and actually getting boys to be able to talk about their feelings and to be able to uh, actually identify what's going on in their brain, then they're going to be able to talk about it better later in life because it actually expands their emotional vocabulary as well, which I think can only only help for all areas of life
1: like yeah that is a great point that you know i think of people my age and you know even leading up to to my dad's age that yeah you ask them how they're feeling and they they couldn't even tell you they're like i'm sad and angry but i i don't really know like that that, you know never really thought about it like that in those terms but that's like yeah (laughs) you just hit the nail on the head for so many people i know it's unbelievable um Listen, I, uh, you guys have graced me with your, your knowledge and I, I really, really appreciate it and you've cleared up a lot of questions I know I've had and I, I really look forward to sharing this with, with everybody because I know it's a, it's a lot of, you know, a, a topic that people hear about, like I said, don't know about and I think this really cleared up a lot of um, things people may have been thinking when it comes to mindfulness If people want to get in touch with you, see more on your programs, um, where can they go? Where can they find you? Social media, website, your personals?
0: Was that me? Okay, sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you can find um, mindfulproject.ca is our main website. Um, And basically... Everything is on there. We actually have a, a free program right now um, for eight to 12 year olds um, or younger, a little bit older. Um, I mean, I think everyone could actually benefit from it on our site. Um, it's the at home program um, for people and young people dealing with uh, stress around coronavirus and, and being at home and you know, this ever changing situation. So um, that is for free and you can see it on our main page. Um, as far as uh, emailing us directly, I think uh, you can actually email Aaron at mindfulproject.ca or Rachel at mindfulproject.ca. Um, that's probably the quickest way and we can get back to you pretty quickly. But um, yeah, most of the information on the programs is on mindfulproject.ca. We also have a lot of resources, a lot of cool things to check out on the site. So um, on our Instagram, Rachel's in charge of our Instagram. So I, our Twitter handle's different. So I'm going to let you take this, Rachel. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so you can reach out if you just go on our website. It actually has all of our, our handles that are there. You can click on. Um, also, you can reach us uh, just by. There's a contact uh, submission form there as well. So um, yeah, we're we're happy to to talk with you further if you want more information on uh, Instagram. We're underscore mindful project. So that's our our Instagram handle there. People want to to reach out to us there, um, and then our uh, Twitter and Facebook are uh, on the main page there of our uh, I, do I don't remember yeah, yeah.
1: all I
0: don't remember well. so. that's uh-huh. why I was like Rachel you guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hear you no no I really yeah. appreciate your time today uh, thank you so much it, it's been a, a true pleasure
0: thank you very much for having us okay. yeah, thanks for having us you take the red pill You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.